Blog Talk Radio. About Tito Santana versus Greg the Hammer Valentine. And I'm Hold on one second. Yeah, yeah, by what? Once again, Hold by on. the Hold on. expert Hold on. on pro wrestling, Juan Silva. He's he's coming back. He's uh, talking to somebody offline right now. I guess he just got interrupted. But yes, we will be talking about the greatest feuds in pro wrestling. Hold on. Hold on. Tito's Hold on one second. Hold on second. <laughs> I guess I can't talk because. Uh, he thinks I'm talking to him, but I'm not. I'm talking to you guys. But the uh, point is is that uh, we'll be talking about these matches, and uh, they are the, the series of matches that uh, I believe culminated in their in their WrestleMania match, um, and WrestleMania won. Um, so there's uh, three matches. All right, I'm back, Big Ben. Right. And we are joined here. Yes, one silver on the line. One silver, tell us now, uh, what are the matches that we'll be talking about today? We're talking about the, the great feud from 1984 to 1985, one of the greatest feuds in the history of the World Wrestling Federation. So a lot of these matches, I went to two of these three matches, and WWF product in 1984 and 1985 was phenomenal, phenomenal. You had great feuds. You had you had the split the Piper feud. You had the feud we talked about last week, Sergeant Slaughter versus Iron Sheik, and you had the uh, Tito Santana great Valentine feud. It, you, you had the Rocket Wrestling in the cartoons. You had Piper's Pit. This was a great era to to grow up in. I was 16 years old at the time when we first started watching these matches. And, I, and it was just tremendous. Waking up early Saturday morning, you couldn't wait for uh, uh, superstars of wrestling, or championship wrestling, all-star wrestling, because the WWF was at its best in this era. The greatest era at the beginning of Hulkamania, the greatest era in WWF history. Yeah, well, that was when they they had the both you know the undercard and the uh, main cards were they paid some thought to it and they didn't just have throwaway matches and fifty fifty booking they they progressed storylines and they made real stars and two of these one of these I think Tito Santana is one of the most underrated stars of that era. You know what? I'm going to tweet Meltzer after this show is over and, and ask his opinion about Tito Santana because Tito Santana. From 1984 to 1988, during this time period, where he was two-time Intercontinental Champion and World Tag Team Champion with Rick Martel, had one tremendous match after another. And I have never been in this, and I went to several cards in the Garden, the Meadowlands, and Nassau Coliseum between 84 and 88. Not one time did I see Tito Santana uh, just show up. He was phenomenal in every match. He gave it his all. A tremendous worker. 
And when he talk about greatest workers of all time, greatest baby faces of all time, this man is never mentioned. And this man had a sensational career. And one of the few wrestlers in the history of professional wrestling, baby face from the minute he came out of West Texas State with the folks in Amarillo in the 70s till when he retired. And he's not in the Hall of Fame, right? No, unfortunately, he's not an Observer Hall of Fame. I know he's in the WWE Hall of Fame, but I don't yeah. count that shit because you got a million motherfucking actors in that fucking Hall of Fame. No. Yeah, yeah. But, but this guy, um, I mean, really carried – I mean, he was – I think I would uh, number three maybe, and you know during the Hogan era, like he was almost well, like from '84 to '88. If you want to talk about baby faces that stayed on top from '84 to '88 throughout that run, I talk about that was there the entire run, not Superfly Snuckle or Sergeant Slaughter that were number two at one point and then left. One due to drug abuse, one the other one for more money. You would go Hogan, of course, one. It's not even close. Hogan one. JYD2, Santana 3. Yeah, and then you have, um, I mean, maybe he should have turned heel and gone after Hogan. I mean, that probably would have been some good matches. I think Santana is not a heel. Look at the way he, he's the fiery babyface. He's the guy who makes the great babyface comeback. And in my opinion, when it comes to selling for a babyface, he's number three all time after Steamboat and Ricky Morton. I mean, the way, as you can see in these matches, he brings it. He makes you, oh, please, Tito, get up, Tito. He makes the fans root for him to, he's getting beat down by Valentine. Oh, yeah, and then when he makes that babyface comeback, man, the, the crowd, man, just goes nuts. He really looks at he was, he was the ultimate babyface. He's that babyface that, that you have no choice to, to, to root for. And always, always underrated, but unfortunately, underrated, a tremendous career, especially in the 1980s, because I want to tell everybody this. When the WWF was doing three shows a night, you have Hogan headlining one card, the World Tag Team Champions headlining the other card, and the IC Champion, which was either Santana or him battling the IC Champion, was headlining another card. So Santana sold tickets night in and night out. He did, and he also um, he didn't really even have a gimmick. I mean, he was just the he had a name. He was he was the Mexican superstar. That's it. Yeah. And he he became a man. They turned turned him into a matador later. Oh, that, that, like, that's when it was a joke, and yeah. he should have had just left there. Oh, that's Santana like, did, says Santana wrote in his book, and he said on several podcasts that McMahon lied to him, and I think McMahon did lie to him because there's no way in the world he was going to put the title on Santana. He told Tito Santana, "We're going to repackage you. We're going to make you the matador. We're going to send you to Mexico." Have you run with the Bulls? And you do this, and you'll have a you'll have a WWS uh, title run down the line. He was right. lying to Santana. He was just trying to get Santana to change, give him, give him a fresh look. But come on, you got a forty-something-year-old man in a fucking tight-ass matador suit. That shit ain't selling. Well, that was the era right before the um, the Monday Night Wars where WWE got. It was, Very it was completely cartoon. cartoon. Completely yeah. cartoon. Everybody had remember they had the guard. They had like the Duke the Dumpster. Oh, they, they, yeah. they had all these clowns. You had the yeah. hockey guy. You had uh, the, the the plumber. It, it was just, yeah, the, re, oh, the repo man. Oh, it was it was a horrible time. It was the worst period. Yeah. You, you see, we're talking about the best period. In between the two greatest periods in the history of WWF. The Attitude Era in the late 90s and Hulkamania in the mid-80s, 
you had that cartoon era that if you look at the matches today, you just want to vomit. And you and you know what? I really believe that the cartoon era is essentially the real vision of Vince McMahon. That in this era, in the '80s, he was still kind of going with his father. Well, he had no choice. First of yeah. all, he had one of the legendary booker George Scott was booking all these matches. He booked the Hogan. He booked the Slaughter Sheep feud that we talked about last week, and he booked the Santana Valentine feud that we're talking about this week. He was about hard hitting wrestling, and yeah. he and he. And he and he pushed a lot of the great Mid Atlantic stars that he that that he came to WWF with, Steamboat, Valentine, Piper. Those were his guys, so he pushed those guys. When yeah. he left in '86, things began to change. He had a different direction. No longer was Hogan in those bloodbath matches that he was with. Scott was the. No, that's when he started fighting was. fighting Zeus. He started fighting monsters up yeah. until. George Scott was the booker. Hogan was facing athletes like uh, like um, Valentine, Savage, uh, Mr. Wonderful. Those the, yeah, yeah. He, those were the guys he was feuding with. When Pat Patrick took over and George Scott was given a boot, then he started taking on the Killer Cons and the Kamalas and the Andre the Giants, which puts you to fucking sleep. So the one man gang. The one started and started becoming more and more of a cartoon. So yeah. right now we're in the era from 84 to 85 where the WWF is giving you great wrestling. George Scott's the booker, and McMahon has no choice but to do this because he's invading all the other territories. Yeah. And and it was the best to, I mean, because he was bringing in these guys, and they were having phenomenal matches, and they they were, you know, on the level of matches that you would see in Crockett. So they, yeah, it was, it will, this Valentine Santana would have been a Crockett feud. Valentine right. was a student. But another guy who, in my opinion, is vastly underrated. I, he, he had a Hall of Fame career, and he was on top in Crockett and the WWF on top. And he had great matches across the board with Hogan, Santana, Bob Backlund, and in, the, and in, and in um, Crockett. Him and Flair were a great tag team. He feuded with Flair. Had great matches with Ricky Steamboat. Wahoo McDaniel. Him and Wahoo McDaniel turned the territory around. Greg Valentine, one of the all-time greats, one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time, two of the greatest workers of all time, two of the most underrated wrestlers of all time, in this great feud. And the matches, real quick, that were run down, and I and I was at two of these three matches. I was at the June 16, 1984 match was the only match I was in at because I was next door in the felt form watching on the big screen because that was the same night as the boot camp match we covered last week, right. Florida versus Iron Sheik, a great, great card. This was a great, great match. June 16, 1984, the beginning of this feud. Then we go to August 25th, 1984. I was at this match. Look, I had that match where they did the storyline with Stuka broke his neck. This was the last match following that. It's August 25th, 1984, Madison Square Garden. And in the final match, a match I, a, a, a match I was in the 12th row. I finally got good seats for the first time. I was in the 12th row. March 17th, 1985, Lumberjack match, a phenomenal match. Great Valentine versus Tito Santana. Now, this that was wasn't there a steel cage match too? We covered that in the greatest okay. wrestling match of the world. Yeah, that's right. And that when did that take place? We'll we'll talk about that okay. because that took place after all these. After all, yeah, I, I would think so since it's a steel cage, and they they used to they still book logically back then, so that would make sense. Right. But oh, this, they, I mean, George Scott and Pat Patterson after, after George Scott left, 
always had attention to detail. I mean, even though Patterson was more of the cartoony type, he had kept the attention to detail like Scott. They old school. They none of this. Today I'm uh, today we're in a bloodbath, and next week we're a tag team. Now none of that bullshit that goes on today. Right. They paid attention to detail and storyline. And that's why the yeah. turns. That's why the turns meant so much when they happened. But today, and you knew the turn was coming, but and, and it, it, but they made you wait until it happened. Yeah, like that Orndorff turn was just you so classic. You saw coming a mile away. Yeah. But they kept they kept teasing you, teasing you. Then finally, boom, the turn. The pile driver. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so let's 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 talk about where these guys um, came out of. You said they they both came out of Mid Atlantic, right? No, no. Santana started in Amarillo in the seventies. He he was a he was a football player. What's Texas State? Just like all the other great legends of Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, Dusty Rose, ex- the Funk Brothers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He he starts in Amarillo because that's where everybody from West Texas State started because. That was the pipeline of Dory Funk, Dory Funk Sr., and always got his talent for what's that. Is that world class? No, that was the Funk territory, the Amarillo okay. territory. Yeah. Okay. It's so, before world class. And oh, it's pre-booker. Yeah, after he leaves Amarillo, he wrestles for Southwest Championship Wrestling, which is based in San Antonio, right outside Dallas. And then finally, in 1979, he makes his first appearance in the WWF, and in 1980, him and Ivan Pusky become become the world tag team champions, and so he has a run in the WWF with the tag team titles. Then from the WWF, he goes to the AWA where he teams with a young Rick Martel for a little while, and then he goes back to Texas, and then finally he leaves Texas, and in 1983 he comes to the WWF with a huge, huge babyface push. Valentine had just come, had just left, had just left. Mid Atlantic, where he had the spectacular 1983 feud with Roddy Piper and the dog collar, the dog collar match, which we reviewed on the very first episode of Wrestling Greatest Performances. And so, one of the greatest I, matches of all time. Oh yeah, with one of the ten greatest matches of all time, without a doubt. And then from there, he um he comes to the WWF, and he's first managed by Captain Lou Albano, which he was managing him in his first match. June 16, 1984. Okay, now, um, this match, you're saying Albano here is a heel, right? Well, he's, yeah, because this is, this is, Albano doesn't turn face until right after Christmas 1985 when he gets right, right. by Piper with the trophy. Yeah, I mean, some people don't remember that, that he was actually yeah. a heel manager. And he, um, um, Valentine also had, didn't he, he have like a pretty spectacular feud with Flair Right, but Before that was this? in Mid Atlantic a few years prior to this. Well, Valentine, from from 1976 to 1986, Greg Valentine was one of the five greatest heels on the planet. He was a phenomenal heel everywhere he went, and there was, was only two territories he went: WWF and Crockett. Spectacular in both territories. I remember when um, WWF came out with those action figures. Uh, yeah, you, you said that before. You would use Valentine as your Ric Flair figure. <laughs> and he was so – I wanted to say that because he was so similar to Ric Flair in many ways. He was basically – That's the, why they were a great tag team. When they tag team in the late 70s, they both had the figure four leg lock. They both had the flashy robes, and they both had the long, bleach blonde hair. So they were a perfect tag team. Yeah, and they and, – and 
in many ways, like when they brought, I guess, you know, they couldn't get flair, but they got sort of almost like a flair type guy to come in and, and he did the flair flops and he did a lot of the stuff flair does. Uh, they, 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 because they were a tag team, so yeah. they incorporated each other's movesets into their moves. Yeah. And why, when they did feud in Mid-Atlantic in, in late 70s, early 80s, it was a spectacular feud because whenever two, a tag team uh, stays together a long time and, and turn on each other, they have the best matches because they know what works with each other. Right on. So, okay, so he's in the WWF here. This is his uh, first – this is the only title he ends up winning, right, the um, – the um, Intercontinental. So he also, he's also the tag team champions with Brutus Beefcake, the Dream Team. Oh, of course, how could I forget? So he, so he gets this. Uh, he he actually has the title initially, or is it Tito? Hold on, hold on. Yeah. Because that's from what yeah. I understand. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, big man. Hold on, continue talking. Yes. So when I remember this, I just remember coming into wrestling or starting to watch it when. Tito Zantana is already the champion. So I I guess I would start watching after WrestleMania one. Anyway, he's gonna the historian here is gonna have to clear all this up because I don't remember. But uh that's why okay, I have I'm to, back. Yeah, so tell me this. Uh when who was who was champ I know these guys did they guys trade Santana wins the Intercontinental Championship in January of 1984 from Magnificent Morocco. That's and right. Since, that was and, a, that was an awesome feud too. Yeah, and so after the feud with Morocco wins, that's when his feud with Valentine begins. And Valentine, what he attacks him, or what? What? What's the? Well, it wasn't the feud didn't start on television like a lot of feuds did. Actually, began maybe a month or two prior in, in Madison Square Garden where Valentine beat Santana by um, count-out. Um, and then this is the rematch, June 16, 1984. And this match continues the, the, the feud. Okay, so that's what the one, first one we're talking about here. Um, this is a, a Madison Square Garden thing, and this didn't air. This probably aired in some local New York market, right? Not Look, it, oh, it aired on MSG, and it, I think it aired on the USA Network. But still, the place was packed. I couldn't get a ticket. I had to buy a ticket to the next door, cell phone, which is now the theater master's square garden, to, to watch it on closed circuit. I didn't have cable. Right. This I is had the main. Find a way to watch the Florida Sheet match. This and that was the main uh, card. That for was that. the main event. That was yeah. the main event. The, the match we talked about last week. This was the last match that night. No, actually, this was the match before. So I'm, my bad. My memory. My memory is, 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 is lack of detail. This was the match before Florida Sheet. Yeah, it's the is this uh, the, the semi main the very final match of the night. Yes. Right, this is semi main event, and these guys uh, really delivered. Now, here, I want to I want to I want to tell the fans I want to reiterate what we said last week. There's no Hogan on this card, and you have a sell out crowd both in Madison Square Garden and Southport. Right. Yeah, I mean that that's pretty amazing. Hogan's right. a great draw, but. The WWF has other stars. That's why they were so. That's why they were able to conquer. They were able to conquer the world. They had several, several great stars that could headline and sell out arenas like the Garden. Yep. So let's let's uh, get into this match here. Um, of course, the way these matches always play out is that one. There's always like one guy gets the advantage in the beginning, 
And then, you know, there's a reversal and there's a lot of selling and then and eventually. And then a like, lot of back and forth. And one thing I love about Valentine, which they don't do today, he was a stiff motherfucker. He'd make it look like you were watching a real fucking fight. None of this cartoon bullshit. Oh, let's call this box. Valentine got in there and he kicked your ass. And you had no choice but to kick his ass. Yeah, and he he was stiff. And he definitely, like, you know, he almost, like, was Japanese in that way. The way he, that's what, I mean, I yeah. guess. The way he delivered that fucking forearm, which was essentially the hammer. Well, uh, the stiffest, the stiffest wrestler of all time was always his father, Johnny Valentine. Would go in there, and you would know the fake fight was fake. But then when you see Johnny Valentine, he makes you question whether wrestling was fake or not. And that's who taught Greg Valentine, Johnny Valentine, his son, Greg Valentine, similar wrestler. And um, according to Nelson, Valentine was more athletic, but stiff as a motherfucker. So then we, uh, so so we get to this match here, and there. Um, how does this start off? I, I watched all three of these matches this morning, but they, I think it's a uh, um, Tito Santana starts right away, right? He's the gets the advantage. And I, he, I believe he puts him in the side headlock, and they work off the headlock. I mean, this match. Oh yes, he he comes off the ropes. Valentine comes off the ropes, off the off the side headlock, and then. Santana takes a sick tumble through the ropes because they almost break the bottom rope and Santana falls to the concrete floor and uh, he gets right back up. Well, what a hellacious bump. Yeah, that looked like it was a mistake. I mean, because it kind of just like... It was great because it added to the, the match. Yeah, they started brawling on the outside and then, he, you know, he, he throws them back in there and then they're... Yeah, it added, it added some drama a there. Great work, a great work that knows how to utilize the mistake into the match. And that's what both Valentine and Santana did. Because that wasn't a mistake where they boxed the spot. That was the rope gave out. And Santana could have ended his career right then and there. That's, that's probably right, yeah. So this was, um, this is in the summer, huh? Yeah, June 16th, 1984, yes. Yeah, and um, it was a hot ass day that day. Oh, oh, thank God for him. It was like ninety five degrees that day in monkey hell in New York. Yeah, but um, so so yeah, so the, I mean, this must this was a long card too. It looked like it was almost three hours. It was a three hour card. They they jacked it up. It was a three hour card with no Hulk Hogan selling out both both spots. Unbelievable card without without Hogan. And you had Andre the Giant versus Dr. D. David Schultz. It was a tremendous card. Indeed. So, okay, so they, they this this match is it's not that long. I think it's like only about maybe 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah because they had to save time for the Slaughter Sheep match because that was going to go 20-something minutes. So this match ends and it, it, it continues to fuse. They both were um, that, um Santana comes off the ropes, came from the AWA uh, people, don't forgive him. He, so he has to catch himself because he's acting like this should be his qualification if you hit the tenor in his voice. But he quickly changes it. Valentine goes outside the ring, gives Santana an atomic knee drop, rolls back in the ring, in the ring and wins by Kiana. Okay, but then he... he uh, doesn't he doesn't he fuck him up here and put him in a figure four or something? No, 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 no. Santana's outside hurt, and then he calls back to the ring, to, to the back, and then they interview Santana, and, and Santana, and I was in the cell form watching this interview. If you was in the garden, you would have seen this interview. Cell form shows the interview. And Santana is in the back saying, oh, my leg hurts. 
kill this field not over. The crowd in the cell floor went apeshit. Because even though Santana's not considered a great promo, when he was hurt and batted, he'd give you that fiery promo, the fans would eat it up. And we went apeshit in there. And the, the fans started screaming, T-O, T-O, T-O. <laughs> Yeah, but he... So, so this was like... Um basically giving him a title shot because he had beat the champion by count out. So now we go to the rematch two months later, August 25th, 1984. Once again, the semi-main event, Logan, the main event on this card is Piper versus Snooker. That's the, the match where uh, Snooker, they, they do the angle with Snooker break, where Piper breaks Snooker's neck. In real life, Snooker has to go to rehab, for drug rehab. So this, is, this explains why he's asking. And so during the, the Valentine Santana match, they're showing Snooker being wheeled into the ambulance and taken away. So, so um, Valentine didn't break his leg. We will we will talk about that after this match. Okay, that's what. Ha- okay, that's that's that All right, so let's talk about it. Um, this is a um... uh, this is a knockout brawl. I mean, they go after each other completely. Santana wants revenge for being hurt and beat the last time by a countout. They go back and forth. This match has many twists and turns, and the ending is great. The ending is great. All the endings in this feud are phenomenal. But the ending in this match is great because Santana hits him with the flying forearm, which was his finishing move at the time, and pins Valentine. At the count of two, Valentine puts his leg on the rope. Now, they had just knocked the referee down, so the referee's groggy. The referee doesn't see Valentine's foot on the ropes. Counts to three. Santana wins. Santana gets up. Even though Valentine's leg is on, Santana wins. Keeps Valentine's heat. Santana picks up the belt. Valentine attacks him from behind. Puts him in the figure-four leg lock. Injures him again. And this is where he breaks his leg. No. No. That'll be the following month. But what I love about this match, when the match is over, the fans are throwing garbage in the ring at Valentine. Valentine's heat is at an all-time high. Yeah, they hated, they hated this guy. Um, and he, yeah, I never even heard him cut a promo. Did he ever cut promos? Yeah, he wasn't a great promo. Oh, That's why he always had a manager do the, do the majority of talking for him. And Crockett, I believe Buddy Rogers was his manager at one time. Uh, Gene Anderson was his manager. Always somebody that could talk. All right. When he wrestled Piper, he didn't have a manager. Piper did all the talking. And Valentine was just like that, a talent, a silent assassin. In the WWF, he was managed by uh, the Grand Wizard, Captain Lou Albano, and Jimmy Hart. They did the talking for Valentine. So Valentine, um, there's a, there's a, just uh, in this match, I mean, he's just his whole moveset is just basically grabbing you by the headlock and punching you, and then trying oh, to. Oh, and those stiff elbows. I mean, and he works yeah. the body part. He knows that in this match, Monsoon brings it up. He said, oh, he injured the leg the last time. Now he's going after the leg. Valentine was a master at breaking down a body part and keeping the psychology on the body part that is always the leg because Valentine's given with the figure four leg lock. And throughout his, his career, he broke three significant wrestlers' legs. In the real life? Storyline wise. Oh. Storyline, storyline. Storyline, Chief Wahoo McDaniel, Chief Chase Strongbow, and Tito Santana. 
And so whenever the feud would continue, he'd work on the leg, and the crowd would go, oh, he's going out he's going after the hero's bad leg. So that was – and then with the feud with Piper, he busted Roddy Piper's eardrum. And so whenever they whenever that matches after that, he would always work on Piper's ear. Valentine was the master at working the body part that was in question. Yeah, and this thing looked – I mean, I remember this, this match looking so real, like the way he – he uh, leapfrogs over uh, Valentine and then hits the referee. But all all the participants did a really great job. And then you have, um, you know, uh, Greg the Hammer Benton almost capitalizing on that, but then putting on that figure four. And so what does he do here? He just hurts his leg. So. Yeah. Now, the following month on WWF All-Star Wrestling, a match that was taped in Ontario, Canada, a very similar ending to this match. Valentine versus Santana, Santana the champion. Santana hits Valentine with the flying forearm, has Valentine down. The referee's counting to three. Valentine drapes his foot over the... Santana gets up thinking he won. Referee sees that Valentine's foot legitimately is outside the ring, so he continues the match. Valentine gets up, attacks uh, Santana from behind, takes his knee out, Pins him, wins the match, to figure for a leg lock on him, and that's where the breaking of the leg angle occurs. Yeah, that was a major deal. And I just remember um, that that totally got over the figure four leg lock for Greg Valentine. I mean, he was like. And he, while Santana is rehabbing his storyline, he begins to learn how to use the figure four leg lock. And Santana's figure four leg lock, when he started utilizing it, was tremendous. They, it wasn't no foot where you could just talk, talk, to take it off. He'd lock it in. I'd say Santana had one of the prettiest figure four leg locks of all time, which he developed after the storyline angle where he breaks his leg and loses the title September of 1984 to uh, Greg Valentine. So Santana takes three months off to, 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 to uh, play up to the storyline, comes back December, January of 85, and the feud continues with Santana. And so we go to March 17th, 1985. Number, this is finally to have a main event at Madison Square Garden. March 17th, 1985, Hogan and Piper are in the, are the famous Piper's Pit where Piper draws the cartoons of Mr. T with, 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 with his arm and leg in the cast, and then a, a big brawl occurs, and then Piper leaves the ring and throws soda at, at Mr. T and Hulk Hogan. That was on this card. The main event... Santana versus Valentine, Lumberjack match, and a tremendous match. One of the greatest Lumberjack matches of all time. Yeah, this one definitely was, they put this on on the videos. Um, uh, I remember, I just remember seeing the Coliseum video of this match. Oh, yeah, uh, I, I believe it was on grudge, grudge matches, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah, it was one of the, it was one of my favorite, uh, it was probably one of the first times I saw a Lumberjack match that, at the time, you know, I hadn't seen that many, but it was probably one of my first ones to see. And I love the idea of it. Like, you know, they keep throwing the guy back in. Now, the way they do this match, they rarely have um, thrown out. It's mostly Valentine who keeps trying to escape. But uh, Oh, yeah, because he's getting his ass kicked by Santana. So he tries to escape to friendly confines where Big John Sutton and those guys are, are, are so they can protect him and he could uh, not be beaten on. But what I love about this match, one of the stars of the match, 
outside the ring with the JYD, the Junkyard Dog. Because whenever Valentine would do that, Junkyard Dog would come around and say, yeah, get out the way, get out the way. And he would shove Valentine back to the Yeah, now here you had Jimmy Hart managing. Is that, did they, yes. did they... now because this is after Albano's face turn, and this is a month after Jim, Jim, uh, Jim, Jimmy Hart comes into the WF. He leaves Memphis, comes to WWF, and he's given, McMahon gives him Nightheart, Bret Hart, and Greg Valentine to begin his stable, which only makes sense three hearts. It's so awesome, man. Like, they, they, they throw um, Valentine back in, and he swings at the Lumberjacks, and he's all pissed at them for basically throwing it back in. And 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 Valentine's great at doing the flare big off thing. I mean that's oh, and the face and the face first uh, bump. Yes, does the. Um, it, I love the 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 knee that um, that Santana throws now and then that knee lift, and then he does you know he does an atomic drop a lot. That people don't do the atomic drop anymore, you know, because uh, I guess and, and you as you saw from the first match, that's how Valentine was by Canada. He hits Santana with a Tommy D drop outside the ring. Now you got to recuperate, right? You just can't get up. And that that allows Valentine to get back in the, win, the ring and win by counter. Yeah, this, I mean, the the, the crowd was going nuts for this when. when oh, I, was, uh, I was in the 12th row for this match, and we stood up for this entire match. This was a tremendous match. Ending continues to feud. Now you're thinking Lumberjack match. Fourth count anywhere, you would think this match would be the culmination of the feud. No. The ending was spectacularly booked. Both of them are beating the shit out of each other. They collide heads coming off the ropes. Valentine falls on top of Santana. They're both unconscious. The referee counts to three. Valentine wins. But they're both. It happened so quickly, Logan, that we missed it in the crowd because the referee, once they banged, they fell on top of each other. One, two, three. Yeah, that was that a. Was, uh... Surprising now. So, what, does that mean he, means he wins the title? No, Valentine was a champion. He retained the title. Oh, that's right. He was still champion. So uh, then you go to after this. We're not going to talk about it, but uh, that, that's when the steel cage match happens, right? No, well, we, no, we could talk. Well, we could just uh, chronologically about these guys' careers. Now, WrestleMania happens two weeks later in matches for a garden. I never understood why Valentine Santana wasn't one of the matches. It was Valentine versus the JYD. Santana interferes on the JYD for half. JYD wins by counter. Um, I, I don't understand why it wasn't Santana versus Valentine, but that's neither, neither, neither here or there. The feud continues, and it finally ends July 6, 1985, a match we covered on the greatest matches performances, or the greatest wrestling matches of all time. You go back to the archives and check that out. Steel cage match. Santana wins the title. They... Um, great, great match. You can hear all about it on the archives on our show when we reviewed that match. And then he would feud with Valentine up until the end of August when Valentine and Beefcake win the World Tag Team titles from Barry Windham and Michael Tundo. So that basically ends the Santana feud. But between the time Santana was and the end of August, they feuded all over the country and Santana beat him in, one, in, in every type of steel cage match and uh, death match possible. So Santana was going over every night, which was great because he's the champion and he's not winning by luck. He's beating Valentine, and Valentine keeps his star power by getting the tag title. After Valentine feud ends, Santana begins feuding with Randy Savage in the fall of 85. Savage is feuding with both 
Hogan and Santana over their titles because Santana's IC champion over the world champion. Finally, Logan, in February of 1985, in the Boston Garden, a great match, a match, uh, a few that we'll probably definitely talk about, not probably, we'll definitely talk about down the line. He he loses the title when Savage hits him with a pair of brass knucks in February 1985, the Boston Garden. And that ends Tito Santana's second reign as IC champion. Um, he has a great feud continuing with Spring of, 80, of, of 86. Yeah, that was a great feud. And great feud. And then afterwards, he becomes a mid-carter until the fall of the summer of 87 when Tom Hanks jumps, leaves the WWF over a contract issue. And so Rick Martel's Can-Am connection is no longer. Rick Martel, Rick Martel no longer has a tag team partner. And so they insert Santana into the feud, into the team at Strike Force, and they have a tremendous feud with Strike Force and the Hart Foundation, and they become world tag team champions. Fall of 87. They hold it until WrestleMania 4 in March of 88, where they lose the tag team titles to Demolition. And from then on forth, Santana becomes a mid-carter up until he leaves the WWF in 1992 with that bullshit lame Matador gimmick. Yeah, well, it's it's still, I mean, he he carried a lot of, of this um, early WWE on his back. He, he was a mm-hmm. central guy in their rise. Um, and uh, and he sold a lot of tickets, sold tickets wherever he went. Yeah, and and great example of babyface fire. Kind of got that uh, Pedro Morales thing going. I didn't he team with him a little bit now and then. Yes, he. he matter of fact, um, in between IC runs and after uh, he loses Savage, he teams with Morales on several occasions. Yeah, I, rem- I seem to remember that Morales. Pretty old at this point, but still uh, got well, the, Morales was washed up at that point. Yeah. Yeah. But I loved his, uh, you know, the way he clapped his hands and uh, get into that baby face fire. And, uh, and, it, and when he sold, only two baby faces greater than him in the history of wrestling that sold better than Tito Santana. That was that was Ricky Steamboat and Ricky Morton. I mean, he was that baby face in peril. Unbelievable. Yeah. And he, but he also, like, when he had that comeback, it was, like, reminiscent of Bruno San Martino. Many ways. Um, yes, just, yes, yes, because he'd come back by and, you know, the fiery Latin, the fiery Latin temper. Very reminiscent <laughs> of Pedro Morales and Bruno Sammartino. All right, so uh, we will be talking about another feud uh, next week. Yes. Or are we going to skip a week, right? Yeah, because next week we're going to talk uh, a movie. We're going to do, I'm going to see Hands of Stone this week, so i find a way to watch that. We're going to review Okay, that I'll, I'll check it out. Logan's movie review. That'll be up more. But in two weeks, we'll be back with the rest of the program, and that will be. It wasn't really a feud. They had they had three great matches, so we will cover three great matches of two of the greatest workers in WCW history: Arn Anderson versus Barry Windham, former tag team partners, former members of the Horsemen. They had three sensational matches. In between them being a Horseman. Right, and. Uh... Another underrated guy, Arn Anderson, big time. Uh, and Barry Windham. They're Barry Windham and Arn Anderson, two of the all-time yeah. greats, two of the most underrated workers in the history of sport. Ric Flair will be the first to tell you. Barry Windham was one of two or three favorite opponents of all time. He loved working with Barry Windham. Yeah, he did. they did some great stuff together. All right, well... Uh, we'll... On the greatest matches. Uh, yes. 
So we'll talk uh, later tonight, this evening, about uh, a boxing, uh, the, the greatest performances in boxing of what's his name? Ruben Olivares. Yes, Ruben Olivares. So boxing fans, check out World Championship Boxing. And, uh, okay, man, uh, I guess I'll talk to you in a little while. Talk to you a few hours again later. Thanks for listening.